So I'm not sure whether you had first or second pick of the speakers. But I'm I'm pretending that you had first pick and I'm here. But it was good. We had a great camp. I really enjoy coming over and I, I don't take the opportunity to speak at your camps lightly. It's a, a real honour for me. And um, I really appreciate Pastor Simon inviting me and Ross, of course. And I always have a great time there and I, and I think it's because your men are so hungry. That's what I, that's what I was thinking this morning, brother. What, how come your camp's so good? Because the men are hungry for the When you're hungry, it's not so important what's served up to you. It's the truth. Let's face it. If you're if you're not very hungry, you can be picky and choosy about what you listen to. But if you're hungry, you'll just take what's given. And you you have some hungry men here, which is a great thing. That's a, it's an important thing in the church. And, but I had a, a really good time. I'm very happy to be here. I miss my wife. I want to say hello to her, even though she can't hear me but I'll see her tomorrow. And in the meantime, I have to like console myself with the peanut butter lint balls. It's just a cat remembered that I like so much. It's just a cat. I appreciate that. Well, the guys are going to hear me again. But why don't we take out our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Why don't we stand for the reading of the word? I like that tradition. And I understand it's not compulsory. But I do like that tradition. The book of Exodus chapter 14. And beginning at verse 10. The scripture says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And I want to speak to you briefly this evening on that thought. Why do you cry to me? Let's pray. Father, so thankful for your word this evening, O oh God. I pray, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts. Let us hear, O oh God, what you have for us this night, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And this is the story, of course, of Israel's exodus out of slavery in Egypt. If you know the story, Israel went into Egypt when there was famine and Joseph, through a series of events, became Prime Minister in Egypt, and the whole of Israel moved there, and they were there for a long time. 400, 400 years, that one? 400 years. And, of course, when Joseph was Prime Minister, they were very favoured, and then as time went on, 
they, they fell out of favour because there was a new pharaoh arose who didn't realise that Joseph had saved the nation. And, and in the end, after hundreds of years, Israel were no longer favoured, but now instead they were slaves. And this caused them to cry out to God for deliverance. And of course, God sent a man, Moses, to deliver them. And he visited Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. God visited ten plagues upon him. And they weren't just any random plagues. Each one of those plagues was a direct demonstration of the power of God over the gods of the Egyptians. Each one of those plagues directly attacked an Egyptian god. And God showed that he was more powerful than all the gods of Egypt. And in the end, of course, Pharaoh, after his firstborn child was killed, said, get out of here, we don't want you anymore. So off goes Israel to the promised land. Israel was able to leave their bondage and their slavery behind and set out for a promised land. The only problem is they had no idea how they were going to get there. And they had, no, they had women and children and flocks and mixed multitude came with them. There, can you imagine the chaos of all these people and animals and, and wandering from Egypt all the way to what we know is Israel today. That's a long way. And how are they going to get there? Well, thankfully God decided to lead them. He, he sent a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day to lead them. But they hadn't gone very far into the wilderness when Pharaoh changed his mind. He realized that once you get rid of all the slaves, who's going to make the bricks? Hmm, maybe we need those Egyptians back. Oh, sorry, those Israelites back in this country. So off he goes. He sends his army after them, his chariots, and to bring them back into bondage. I assume they'd kill Moses and the leadership and just bring the people back into bondage. But in the meantime, God was leading Israel through the wilderness straight into a trap. They just realized that here comes the army of the Egyptians behind them with these chariots against men, women and children on foot with animals and who were slaves. They weren't warriors or they had no army, they had no weapons, they didn't have anything. And they're following after this pillar of cloud and they come up hard against the Red Sea. Here they are, as the saying goes, caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. And of course, they started to um, get a little bit nervous. I can't understand it either. There, they, there were the chariots of Egypt coming up fast behind them and ahead of them is the Red Sea blocking their path and there's no escape. They can't take another path. They're stuck. It seemed all was lost. And I wondered, you know, I, I think strange thoughts and I wonder what the Israelites expected when they left Egypt. My guess, this is my guess, 
is that they thought everything would be easy. I mean, didn't they just see God move miraculously? Hadn't they cried out to the Lord for help and this amazing miracles occurred? And in fact, here is God leading them with this pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. We're just going to stroll through the desert straight into the promised land. Surely, this God who showed him so much more powerful than the mightiest nation in the world, Egypt, he was so much more powerful, surely he would just usher them into their promised land. And the reason I think that is because that's what we think too. Well, we experience the miraculous power of God. Well, I have. I'm sure some of you have as well. I've seen God change my life. And I've seen him change circumstances that were impossible in an instant. And I've seen his hand move in miraculous ways and heal people and my children and me. Even our vacuum cleaner. You can laugh, but when you've got no money to fix it, you can pray for it and it fixed. My daughter used to say when she was sick, you're not allowed to pray for me because she didn't want to go to school. That's true. But we have seen the hand of God move in our lives, just like the Israelites in Egypt who have been delivered from bondage and we've started our journey to the promised land. And we expect the journey to be easy and safe with God protecting and smoothing at every step. Thank you, Lord. So it's no surprise to me that the Israelites panicked when things didn't go quite as they expected. I mean, none of us would have panicked in that situation, would we? We would have just trusted in God. Well, destruction bearing down on them, no way of escape, of escape in an impossible situation, and this wasn't how the journey to the promised land was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be this way, God. You were supposed to make everything easy. I should just walk to the door and just open this. I don't even have to knock or anything. I just walk in. It's not how it's supposed to be. What do you mean there's the Egyptian army going to kill me and there's no way ahead and I can't see any way out? There's something going wrong. Why do you hate me, God? So, of course, they cried out to Moses, Why did you bring us here to die? We may as well have stayed in bondage. It would have been easier than what we're facing now. People feel that way, you know. It would have been easier if I just stayed where I was. And Moses told the people to stand still. Now, that tells me they were possibly not standing still. In fact, I can imagine... How many people do you reckon were there? Let's say a million and a half. That's what, that's what your pastor says. Pastor's always right. I'll repent of that lie later. <laughs> Let, let's say there was a million people. I imagine there might have been a little bit of running around and screaming a bit, don't you? And just utter chaos just panic 
like anything happens anywhere and you see it just it just dissolves into chaos and can you imagine a million people dissolving into chaos what it would have been like it would have been overwhelming and of course Moses said will you just stand still for a minute and I imagine that he wanted them to calm down he said God's brought us this far God's going to deliver us the man of God said just trusting God he's brought us this far he's going to finish what he started he's not going to leave us to die in the wilderness he's not going to take us out here for no purpose trusting God God's with us that's what the man of God said meanwhile the people think their destruction is imminent so Moses cries out to God deliver us deliver us what what's going on God he like the man of God when he says the people he's all confident but when he's in his prayer time he's saying what's going on God you hear me So he cried out to God, and what did God say? God said, what are you crying to me for? What a strange thing for God to say. Like, seriously, don't you even see what circumstances we're in? There's a million people in a panic with an army of Egypt coming up and a whole ocean. Surely you can't miss us, God. Surely you understand what's going on here. What do you mean, why are we crying? Of course we're crying. Can't you tell that our situation is impossible? Can't you see that we're going to be destroyed? The problem was, I think, is that Israel were looking at the situation from the wrong perspective. There's an artist's name, Kokichi Sugahara. You ever heard of him? He specialises in sculptures that include or involve impossible motion it's called. I'm going to show you a short video. So if you want to show me, there she is. I'm going to show you that short video. I might have to kill his light so you can see it. This is one of his sculptures. Can you make that bigger? There you go. So here's the house. Put the ball on the house. The ball goes up the roof and sits on the top of the roof. Isn't that amazing? My wife said, that's a trick. That's amazing, isn't it? How can the ball go up the roof and sit on the top of the roof? Well, let's look at that house from a different angle, shall we? He does hundreds of these things. Different, amazing. When you look at that house from a different angle, from a different perspective, not only is it not impossible for that to happen, it's not even hard. I could, I could get a two-year-old to do it, to make balls go up the roof and sit on top of the roof. It all depends on your perspective. If you have a different perspective, if you're looking at something from a different angle, all of a sudden, not only what ha was what happened possible, it's no big thing at all. Let's see that again. I'm not, I mean, don't mean play it again. Doesn't look so clever now, does it? He didn't trick you at all. You're just looking at the house from the wrong angle. 
you can look him up at another. There's lots of them. Kokichi Sugahara, his name is. Impossible motion. Thank you, brother. I'll grab the lights again. But that's the same, to me, that's the same situation that faced the Israelites at the Red Sea. Because from their viewpoint, they were facing something that was impossible. Impossible. But from God's viewpoint, not only was it not possible, it wasn't even hard. We look at it from this way, and you, how can you do that? You look at it from the other way, and you think anyone can do that. And that's how it was at the Red Sea. The Israelites said, this is impossible. God said, this isn't hard. What are you crying for? It's not even difficult. Didn't they understand that he was in complete control? That he knew exactly what was going to happen? From their viewpoint, they thought they were going to be destroyed. But from his viewpoint, everything was going exactly to plan. The outcome to him was obvious. Destruction of the Egyptian chariots and freedom for the children of God. That was obvious. But from their viewpoint, they had a completely different understanding. And we face the same challenge that Israel faced every single day. To stop looking at circumstances from our own viewpoint and instead see them from God's point of view. Of course we're not in his position, so it's very hard for us to see from his viewpoint. So the only thing that we can do is to look to him. And that, that right there is always the answer to any problem. Let's look, to, let's look to him. Let's look to Jesus. Because when we're faced with a problem or a circumstance or an obstacle that seems to be impossible, we need to see it from his viewpoint. So let's look to him instead of looking at the problem. Because the problem will overwhelm us. But when we look to God, we understand how great and how powerful and how mighty he is. And the problem doesn't seem so bad at all, does it? In Psalm 121, says this, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your feet to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. Where comes your help? Where does your help come from? From the Lord. The Lord who made heaven and earth. And instead of allowing our eyes to become downcast, we need to look up. Look up. Because that's where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. And when we face a difficulty, when the future is uncertain, we, t we tend to fill our mind with a problem. And the problem becomes so big that we stop looking outside ourselves and we become consumed with our own place in the circumstance that's impossible. And instead, we become filled with fear and discouragement and because we, when we see things from where we are, they look overwhelming and impossible. David recognized this when he wrote Psalm 40 as well. Another Psalm, Psalm 40 verse 12 says, For innumerable, I can't even say it, For innumerable evils have surrounded me. 
My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. He expressed the things that we feel in the way that we are. He, when he said, because of all the bad things that are happening around him, he said he was no longer able to look up. He said because he was no longer looking up, then his heart began to fail him. How do you stop your heart from failing? Look up. Look up. We need to get our eyes off our problems and onto God. After all, the impossible things facing us are just an illusion. Just That was called an illusion, and it is an illusion. And most of the problems and difficulties facing us are an illusion. They look impossible. They look like they're going to destroy us, but it's not real. Because our God is in control. And he has made a way of escape for us. The things that we see look so real, but from a different perspective, we see that they are no problem for God at all. And we see the, the same lesson taught in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking where? Unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. In this scripture, we're exhorted not only to stop sinning, lay aside the sin that so easily besets us, but also every weight. Anything that will, will weigh us down and keep us from walking the Christian walk that we should be. Anything that will hinder us in our walk with God. And just as Israelites had the witness of God's miraculous deliverance from Egypt, so are we compass about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The witnesses of the things that God has done in your life. The witnesses of witness of things that God has done in lives around you. Our, our forebears. I can see your forebears. He called me the, his elder today, so I have to like get him back. But the great men of God that have gone before us, they're a great cloud of witnesses telling us that we can make it. We can make it. We're not, we don't have blind faith. Blind faith is, that's for fools. We have faith based on tangible evidence of our own experience and the experience of people that we trust. We have a reason for our faith. We're not just following cunningly devised fables, as the scripture says. No, we experience the power of God in our lives. Amen. And we've seen and we've experienced that everything we've seen and experienced tells us to trust in God that He is able and to not look at obstacles without human understanding only. Let's think about Goliath for a minute. Everybody knows the story of Goliath, David and Goliath, don't they? Somebody does good. Israel was fighting the Philistines. And the one army on one side and the other army on the other side. And the Philistines brought out this their champion, they call it this huge man, Goliath. And he stood on one side and he taunted the 
armies of Israel. Send a man to fight me. He's a big guy, I think, like nine foot six, you know, three meters tall. He was a big guy. In fact, the, the scripture talks about how big his spear and shield were. Like they were so big that a, a normal man probably couldn't even lift them, never mind use them. And he was massive. And if you imagine this massive, tall, muscular guy with these big weapons bellowing at you, he must have been pretty intimidating, I think. And he bellowed out threats and he bellowed out challenges. And to the average Hebrew soldier, defeating this giant man must have been impossible. And it seemed so impossible that not a single one was willing to try. And I can understand that, can you? If you're faced with this enormous, I don't know, Hulk Hogan twice over, without the steroids, but this huge spear and screaming threats at you, come here and I'll treat you to the dogs, I'll rip your head off. It would have been funny, bro. I'd hate to tell you this. No one was even willing to try to defeat him. No one was even willing to try. No one except, that is, one young Hebrew boy who wasn't even a soldier. In fact, he wasn't even in the army. He was only there visiting his brothers. His father had sent them to to visit his brothers who were in the, in the army and see what was going on. And there he was, willing to fight the giant. And it, it amazes me, really, that they let him. Like, seriously, here's his kid. They're all too scared. And the outcome of the fight, was, the challenge was, you send me a man and I'll defeat him and you're our servants. So they're like so determined. Why don't they just quit? Why don't they just say, all right, well, you're served. Throw down your arms. But no, they let a little boy go. But he was willing to fight, to face the giant. How could someone so young and small not find that situation impossible like the other soldiers did? Because David wasn't looking at Goliath from the viewpoint of the soldiers. He was looking to God. David said that God had helped him in the past. He said, when I was a shepherd boy in the wilderness, he said, God helped me kill a lion and a bear. And because God helped me kill a lion and a bear, surely God will give this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand as well. After all, what's a giant man compared to a lion and a bear? The victories that he'd had in the past with the help of the Lord, made him know that he would have victories in the future with the help of the Lord as well. That's what we should be doing as well. Our victories in our past are a, a witness to us that we should trust in God that we are able to overcome. No matter that this giant man is yelling abuse at us, no matter that it seemed like nobody could possibly defeat this giant, But from the soldier's viewpoint, defeating Goliath was, not a, was impossible. But from God's viewpoint, it was not only possible, it wasn't even hard. 
That's why David cried out, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host. Now, seriously, if you were God, and there's this big guy uh, uh, threatening your chosen people, wouldn't you raise up a bigger guy? That wouldn't, wouldn't that have been better? He's a three-meter giant. Out comes a four-meter giant saying, I'm Israel's champion. Now what are you going to do? Wouldn't that have made sense? What? Okay. We haven't got a bigger guy than Goliath. How about a mighty warrior? The greatest warrior in all of Israel. He's had experience in lots of... He's had lots of fights and all sorts of things. He's skilled in all the weapons. He's got nunchuckers and everything. And he can go and fight against him because he's the greatest warrior the world has ever seen. I don't know where these things come from, but I'm sorry. Maybe, why didn't God cause a genius in Israel to invent a nuclear weapon? Okay, now it's a bit much. Invent a cannon. And he could defeat Goliath from a distance with this cannon that shoots a huge rock at him. Why didn't God do that? Because defeating Goliath wasn't hard. It wasn't. In fact, it was so easy, I'm going to send a kid. And not only that, I'm going to send a kid with a rock. That's more than enough for you, Goliath. You're so insignificant in the eyes of God. I only need to send the smallest, youngest guy I can find with a rock. And you know what? He didn't even break a sweat. He didn't fight Goliath up and down Dale and dodge all the things and do all that like it. Just finished. Seriously. That's what happened, wasn't it? This kid comes to this mighty giant and goes, bang, he's dead. Oh, that was so hard. That's how these impossible situations are with God. Because we're looking at them from the wrong way. But when you see them from God's viewpoint, that's exactly what it is. It's not even, it's not even difficult. It's so, that's why I think he sent this young boy. He didn't raise up a giant man or, or a mightiest warrior. He wanted to show Israel, see how easy it is for me. See how easy it is for him in your life as well. It looks impossible. But God's saying, what are you crying for? This is nothing. Why don't you just trust in me? Haven't you had victories in the past? Haven't I been there for you? And you can, can't you look back and see the witnesses that show that I will never leave you or forsake you? Can't you tell that no matter what this thing looks like, it's nothing in my sight? Why are you crying to me? Circumstances and obstacles in our lives can look overwhelming and the things we face can look impossible. But instead of looking at them, how about we look up to the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who's going to see us through. 
the one who's going to bring victory in our lives. No, we can't face them. It's impossible for us. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. In fact, in Luke 21, it says this. Now, when these things begin, begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. What a wonderful scripture that is. Don't be fooled by the illusion of impossible situations. Our God is able. And it's not even hard for him. It's easy. Brother, I'm going to hand them off.